morning, church. Sure is good to be here with you this morning as we start the month of March together. February was kind of uh, pristine weather, wasn't it? And March opened up with a hailstorm right after midnight on the 1st of March. Well, in the north, where we're used to this winter weather and so on all the time, we have this saying that March is either in like a lamb and out like a lion, or in like a lion, out like a lamb. I think the hailstorm counts as in like a lion. Amen, church. Amen. And so I'm sure hoping that those lambs are coming right behind it. Mostly, I'm hoping they come through my yard and eat it because it's already time to mow my grass. And that's something we didn't have to do in the north in February and March. I swear we've got the longest growing season for yards in Arkansas. We could probably put ourselves up against anywhere in the world for how many months out of the year do you have to mow. Well, if that's the worst of my troubles, then we're blessed today, aren't we? We're going to start a new series this morning called Pilgrim Songs. And this is going to take us way back into some of the songs from the Old Testament, from the book of Psalms, that were really special to the Jews, especially during a particular era of their history. But each time we go way back into these songs, we're going to try to come forward again into our lives right now. And I hope that you, along with uh, me, each week will have this expectation. I hope that we will have the expectation that God is going to move today. Amen, church? I hope that we're here this morning with the mindset that God could be on the brink of doing something big. That my attendance and my participation here is part of God's conspiracy through this backwards and upside down way that he calls the church and worship to change something in your heart and life that is so important and dramatic in the long run, even if it seems so small right now, that it makes all the difference in the depth and the richness that we call life. Can you say amen to that, church? Do we come here with the expectation that God is calling us to something? Because there are moments in all of our lives where we maybe become okay with how things are. And maybe we get to a place where the busyness of everything we have going on, uh, we come in here on, on Sunday morning and I'm as guilty of this as anyone and I really haven't been expecting anything of God. I haven't been expecting his spirit to move because I've been busy. Because the way things are in the world seem to be okay right now. The stock market is rebounding. We've all got food to eat. And maybe I've become blind to some of the things that God still needs to change, both physically and spiritually, around me. And so I'm hoping that today that God will move amongst us. The Jews had some moments like this too. Maybe the most important one of these events in their history uh, is the exile. We're probably familiar with the story of the exile, but in case you're not, here's the 30-second recap. The Jews only had to obey God, and he was going to bless and protect them. They didn't obey God. He punished them by foreign nations invading and taking them off into captivity. They obeyed God, and he sent them home. 
And when they were on their way back to Jerusalem, repairing the walls, rebuilding the temple, there was this sense that now we realize God needs to move. We've been chastened. We've been disciplined. We've, we've realized that we had gotten to where we really thought everything was just okay with the status quo, and we ended up in exile. So now we need God to move again. And there were these songs that were written, probably during this period of history, that we call the Songs of Ascents. They comprise only 15 of the songs in the Old Testament book of Psalms. And the one we're going to look at today is Psalm 120. It's the first Song of Ascent. And the thing about these songs is that they probably sang them on their way up to the feasts in Jerusalem. That's probably where the ascent comes in. And so as they would be walking down the road, down this dusty, dirty, Palestine country lane, someone would begin singing a song. And his wife and his children would join in and his family group would join in. The village they were traveling with would join in and there's this pocket of travelers singing a song. A song that talks about, wouldn't it be Amazing if God would move now. God, will you answer? Will you do something in us? Will you renew and restore us? And then the pilgrims in front of them and the pilgrims behind them start singing the song as well. And we can imagine very easily a whole line of pilgrims on the way up to Jerusalem, miles long, Singing in unison or near unison, as we all know, it's hard to keep pace when you get further down the line. But singing with one heart. The messages between Psalms 120 and 134. The church has need of this kind of spirit today. That we would sing out in unison from our hearts to God a plea that he would help us on the way. And specifically, the four psalms that we're going to look at this month cover themes about repentance, about help from God, about security in God, and about joy. Four very practical lessons that Christians learn and relearn and refine on our pilgrimage towards heaven, on our pilgrimage towards the full life with Jesus now, and as we follow Jesus. And so today, as we open up in Psalm 120, we're going to see this message. We're going to see that every arrival begins with a departure. And this is the heart of the first song of ascent. I'll tell you before we read it, it isn't a beautiful psalm. It isn't the most poetic psalm. It isn't the most glorious psalm. It's very short and candid and harsh in many ways. But this song that we're about to read realizes this principle, that every arrival begins with a departure. I think all of us have experienced this. We know that arrivals have to have departures, except for maybe that first arrival of birth. But for most arrivals, the point of departure is when we make a decision to pack and to leave. We want to arrive on vacation, so there has to be a moment in which you actually get the bags packed. For most of us, that is midnight, the night before vacation. 
For many of us that go to Mexico in the summers with the teens, we know that for some of the teens, it's 4 a.m., the morning of the vacation. But there has to be a moment in which you say, I'm going to leave. I'm going to pack the bag. It is time to go. Because to get there, I've got to make the decision to get out of here. And for the Jews singing this song, there was a moment just like that occurring. And it probably happened several times a year. Here's the song. Psalm 120. And this comes out of the message version. Not because it's any particularly better than our other versions, but because the author has put this in a way that might touch and reach our hearts now. The psalmist begins, the singer on the pilgrim journey begins to sing. I'm in trouble. Boy, what a great way to start the journey to Jerusalem, right? Somebody goes, I'm a man of constant sorrows. And everybody's like, let's sing that one. He goes, I'm in trouble. And all the kids are ready to join in, right? Yeah, I cry to God, desperate for an answer. But this is the way the first song in the little tiny songbook of the Songs of Ascents begins. I'm in trouble. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. Boy, do I hope he's going to move. Boy, do I hope that he has something for me. Deliver me is the prayer. God, deliver me from the liars. Deliver me from the liars, God. They smile so sweetly, but lie through their teeth. I'm tired of the lies, God. Do you know what's next? Can you see what's coming, all you barefaced liars? The song continues. Again, imagine all the children on their way up to Jerusalem joyfully singing this together as they kind of dance down the road. Pointed arrows and burning coals will be your reward. I'm so tired of the lies. Don't you liars know this won't end well. There isn't anything in this life of lying and deceit that is going to go well for us. I'm doomed. What a joyful song. I'm doomed, the third verse continues. I'm doomed to live in Meshech, cursed with a home in Kedar. My whole life lived camping among quarreling neighbors. I'm doomed to be stuck with these people. Meshech, which was a region far to the north of Jerusalem, way outside of Jewish territory, probably somewhere in southern Russia of modern times. Way out there. I'm doomed to live in Meshech. But what about Kedar? These people were a tribe of, of Bedouins. They were tent people. They were nomads who lived around Judea and who were known for being somewhat barbaric, warlike, and full of conflict. And so the author does something here. He says, I'm doomed to live in Meshech, to camp in Kedar. These regions aren't even anywhere close together. One of them is far to the north and the other one is nearby. I suppose he wasn't living in either of those places. But the reality of life in the status quo, the reality of life with the world as it is, when we begin to believe the lies of life, 
can feel like I'm camping amongst foreigners, like I'm living amongst a people that don't even know God. He continues to say this about them. He says, I'm all for peace. I want to live a peaceful, godly life. But the minute I tell them so, these Keterites and these people of Meshech, they go to war. And so as soon as I say, let's, let's follow God in peace, in shalom, they, they pick up their spears and their swords and they go off to another conflict. I'm sick of living in this kind of world. God is the cry of the psalmist. I'm dissatisfied with the world as it is. I'm tired of the lies. When the world tells me that every next election will finally bring an end to crime and the establishment of justice. When the world says that with every new scientific discovery that we'll have a cure for cancer or we'll save the environment. The lie that says that if I could get one more pay raise that I would finally live the life of tranquility and I wouldn't have any more concerns about money or any other issues of how to meet the needs in my life. And there is something that rises up inside of us from time to time when we say, I cannot be content living with these expectations any longer. There must be something more than this, God. And this kind of dissatisfaction, this discontent with the world as it is and the lies of the world is the first step. It is the departure on the journey of Christian discipleship on the pilgrimage to Jerusalem and the pilgrimage with Christ. Because until I decide that I can't accept the world's truths, I'm not interested in God's. There are three things that happen to this psalmist that I want us to all be aware of as we move through it this morning. The first is this. As they sing this abrupt, harsh song that starts with trouble and ends with war and is packed with doom in the middle, there is this growing sense amongst the singers on the way to Jerusalem that we've been lied to. That all of the claims of life are not as they seem. That the advertisers have told us, I've got a product that will make you happy. That the politicians have told us that they know how to live as the perfect representation of power and authority and how to wield it well. That the entertainers can give us joy. That they can salve our troubles and make us feel well. That one more vacation is all I need. Even from the preachers sometimes. The preachers who would tell us that God just will comfort you and he doesn't expect anything of you. Or the other preachers who say, you're never good enough for God. That all of these things, there must be some truth of God in it. And this awareness that we've been lied to wakes us up on the road to Jerusalem. It wakes us up on our way to worship at the festivals. It wakes us up on our journey with Christ. The psalmist also responds. The awareness demands a response, a cry to God. And so it's immediate the words come, deliver me, God. I'm in trouble, deliver me, God. I'm starting to realize that I can't do this, that we don't have all the answers, that believing that humanity is basically good, that people won't cause trouble, that the world is peaceful and safe, that these things will always let me down, 
that the people who will let me down the most are often the people that I respect the most. That my preacher, that my elders, that my parents will probably be the people who let me down the hardest. And so, God, I need to turn to you. Deliver me, God, and help me in these things and in everything. Thirdly, there's a change of mind that the awareness and the response bring about in which the pilgrim says a no that is a yes. The pilgrim says, I refuse any longer to participate unquestioningly in the world's way of doing things. I'm going to say no to these so-called truths that are accurate. A new product often does make me feel kind of good. A new possession often does give me a little bit of joy. Entertainment and vacation often do uh, make me feel a little better. The promises aren't false. They just omit some facts that are incredibly important. And so I say a no to some of these lies so that I can say a yes to God. I have a departure from those lies so that I can arrive with God. This kind of a change of mind, this no that is also a yes, is often called in Christian writings, repentance. So often we have come to think about repentance as being this moment in which I feel like I've got a sin I haven't been able to let go of and I I need to give up the sin and so I'm going to repent of the sin. Well, that's true, but it's not the whole story of repentance. Repentance isn't something that occurs only when I feel very guilty. Repentance is something more. It's a no that's also a yes. Repentance is a change of mind. In fact, this isn't true in the Old Testament words, but in the Greek New Testament word, the word for repentance literally means a change of mind. You remember Paul writing in Romans that we renew our minds. That is repentance. Repentance is when I decide I'm not going to believe the lies anymore. I'm going to trust God. I'm changing my mind about what I think is true. And repentance is always the first word in Christian discipleship. It's always the first word. Not only for the beginning of your journey with Christ, but for every renewal along the path. Look at these in Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist. The first word in Christian discipleship is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind, John said. Jesus in Matthew 4, 17 carries the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind because God's kingdom is breaking through right now and you can participate in it if you would change your mind. And yes, that means leaving sin behind, but it means something so much more. It means saying yes to God. Acts 2.38, in that first sermon at Pentecost, Peter says, repent and be baptized. Change your mind. Accept Christ. Repentance isn't just an emotion. This isn't the moment in which I just simply feel guilt and I feel all of this sorrow. 
And I think, oh man, I've just really wrecked it again. I'm not good enough for God. Oh, certainly those kind of feelings can accompany repentance. But sometimes we confuse the emotion for the actual thing. I feel convicted, and I think that means that repentance is happening. But repentance is more than that. It's a decision that comes from the prompting and the prodding of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit gives us these convictions or these these moments in which we realize, I've been believing a lie of the world about myself. And they've been omitting something true about me. I've been believing they could give me happiness. But they have failed to tell me about Christ and my identity in Him. They've told me all of these promises and omitted the greatest truth. They have told me who I am and omitted my origin in God and my destiny in God. And in those moments, I make a decision. Wow, I don't just need to leave a sin behind. I actually need to start believing that everything that God says is real and true and meaningful to my life. I've actually got to start trusting him. There was a man who said to Jesus, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I think all of us experience moments like that in the decision making. God, I want to believe. I want to know that you're real. I want to believe that you have truth for me. But help my unbelief. And the message of repentance is this. Make the decision to trust me. Make the decision to reach out your hand and accept my truth. Repentance, more specifically, is saying no to the lies and deciding that God is telling you the truth in Jesus Christ. This is the first word in Christian discipleship because this is the moment that you come to Christ. When you decide he's trustworthy, you put him on in baptism. You realize that I'm not ever going back again to that old way of life. In that way, it's the first word. But again, it becomes the first word when you realize I'm in a moment now when I've been believing the lies of the world again. And the reason that I'm caught in this sin, the reason that I'm stuck in this sin that I feel like I'm convicted that I need to repent of isn't just because I'm just so bad or so lazy or because I'm so weak, although I am all of those things. The reason I'm still in this sin is because I've been believing the lies of the world that I need it that I won't be content without it, that I won't be full and filled and happy unless I have it. And this is the root of greed. This is the root of lust. This is where pride begins, is in the moment where I think, if I'm not esteemed in that way, I won't be full and filled and content and happy. And suddenly I've acted with pride. And I have a choice to say no to that again. When I'm convicted of the sin to make the decision that God was telling me the truth in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, God says, I will make you enough. Even if they don't esteem you, even if they don't honor you, if they don't respect you, I'll make you enough. Pride won't fix you, my love will. Believing that God's telling me the truth in Jesus Christ is the moment in which we're freed from our lusts and we realize those will never fulfill me. God says, I will give you 
love and acceptance and peace in your life that you can never find inside or outside of marriage, inside or outside of an illicit relationship, inside or outside of pornography, inside or outside of any kind of friendship, I will make you enough. And the moment you believe it and you repent by deciding, I'll trust God with this one, is the moment that you start to believe and receive life-changing power from his spirit over and over again along the journey. This is why so many times in the New Testament, repentance isn't just linked to sins, but linked to belief. Mark 1.15, Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Change your mind and accept the good news would be a fine way of quoting this verse. Yes, that means leaving sin behind, but it means so much more. In Acts, we read this little verse. He says, we taught them, all of these people, that they should repent doing what? And turn to God. That they should give up the lies and the mindset that they had and turn to God the only one who can give you truth in Jesus Christ. And then, having repented to belief in God, performing deeds that keep with that repentance, beginning to live a life that shows the change because you've trusted God for the change. The question for all of us today, not just those who are outside of Christ, but every one of us, is this. This is the moment in which we all have an opportunity for God to move in and amongst us. What lies am I believing? In what ways have I adopted the standards of this world and the way that it uses money and pride and power and sex, the way that it uses respect and honor and shame? What am I believing about myself that is omitting the truth about Christ? What am I believing about my destiny that omits that it started and ends in God? And as I start to identify those things that I'm believing, I've got an opportunity to repent and to joyfully believe in God again. Here's a hint that helps us as we work through this. Lies are so often right under the surface of fears. The things that cause us to be afraid, the anxieties, he doesn't respect me. I'm unfulfilled. I deserve more. My life will be good if I get a little bit more. These things that we worry about, that wake us up at two in the morning, so often the things that we sweat about, that give us ulcers, that physically manifest in our bodies as we start to like break down with anxiety, these are often the, the things, the fears, the hopes, and the dreams that are betraying the lies we're believing. Wow, God, that's something that I need to trust you with. I need to believe your truth about Jesus for me will be enough. Repentance, I believe, is the catalyst for change in all things. There is no change in the Christian journey without moments of repentance. Why did the Jews sing this song to start the journey to Jerusalem three times a year? Why not just once when they came home from exile in Babylon? 
Why not just once at a festival and say, now we're saved, you know, repentance, we've done it. Why did they sing it three times a year? Because every time we start to believe the lies a little bit more again. We, we move back into the world's systems because we must live in and among this world. It's where we're called to be and to minister and to serve and to live out our discipleship. But we start to believe the lies a little bit more. And then we say, I'm doomed to always live in Meshach and Kadar. Will I never get away from these Canadians, Americans, and Mexicans? Will I never get away from all their perspectives of power and authority and wealth and the things that control relations internationally and politics internally? Will I never be free of this? And why am I believing it again? Why am I acting as if my destiny is wrapped up in those things again? And so repentance becomes a world rejection. Not that we reject the people, but that we reject the mindset and the worldview of the things that aren't of God. And we begin to go to God. There are at least two times in the history of Israel that God used world rejection to establish and strengthen his people. There was a world rejection of Mesopotamia at the time of Abram, Abraham. It was the most powerful region in the world. They had the strongest armies and some of the greatest culture. And God called Abram to walk out of it to start something new, moving towards God. New values, new promises, real truth. God called in the time of Moses, the Israelites, to reject the power and the culture of the Egyptians. Oh yes, they were the most powerful society and they had arts and they had food had it all going on and God calls Moses to lead those people out to say no to those lies and yes to God it's my fervent hope that when we come here expecting God to move that he is moving inside my heart and yours and that some of you today are moved to understand and to realize anew that repentance is still for us repentance is always for us Repentance is not a bad thing, a negative thing, or a shameful thing. It is a glorious moment in which we realize God is freeing me from untruth and leading me into truth, and I can go there with Christ, and this is the first step, and the first step every time back on the pilgrimage with Jesus. May God encourage your hearts in that. May he strengthen you to repent of the lies that you and I still believe. If you need to do that this morning, our shepherds will pray with you, down in front or in the back privately. And if at any time in the coming days you need those prayers, we'll be here for you. Please come this morning as we stand and we sing this beautiful song.